Hello, 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 everyone. My name is Matthew Terry, founder and CEO of Suede, and welcome to People in Sales, not salespeople, where we analyze the person behind the salesperson. And today, I'm very excited to introduce Naveed, founder of Dolar, a new friend and um, supporter of mine, and uh, he has held a ton of different powerful roles as a data science project manager, head of data science, and and I am super excited to have him on the show. Naveed, how are you doing? I'm good, Matt. Thanks for for having me, man. It's uh, it's exciting to be here. I've seen some of your other guests, and I was like, uh, if uh, if I fit here. <laughs> you definitely fit, man, because you are a founder and founders, you know, they're salespeople um, or people in sales, man. And super excited to have you on. I want to talk about I want to talk about Dolar and your experience with Dolar um, and dive into the background there. Tell us why Dolar exists. Uh, so it's dollar like dollar, dollar bills, y'all. OK, uh, because we get people money. That's what we do. Uh, the the vision is to build a world that's happier and wealthier. And uh, we found that uh, a big component that was holding people back was their was their student loans. Um, and we can we can talk a bunch about why why student loans and you know why money. You know, some people might think maybe it's financial education, maybe it's something else. Uh, but we found that it really comes down to to just money. So tell me a little bit more about that, if you can. Yeah, let me. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Uh, do you have student loans? I do have student loans. How do you think about them? I I don't like them at all because <laughs> I have to pay every single month. Yeah, I mean, and that's coming out of like a three and a half year hiatus, right? Like where, if, I mean, if you have federal loans, then you probably didn't make any payments. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't think about them, uh, which doesn't mean that you don't know that they exist, that they're important, that you have to pay them off. It just has this like negative feeling associated with it, right? Exactly. Why do you think that is? It's just another thing I got to pay, you know, and I don't really associate the value that the degree had or the degree gave me towards the money I'm paying now. That is so sad, right? It's like, if you think about it, the there's nothing more valuable in the education in the world. Um, and we're collectively think, looking at it as this thing with, with lower perceived value because of the impact that it has on our lives, right? So what do you think, uh, what do you think some, some things you would do if you didn't have student loans? With the money? I mean, not having to spend $200 a month is, uh, is nice. It, it would just be nice. Now with the money, I would continue to save um, and be able to support, you know, myself and the, the vacations potentially I want to take and other things I want to buy with that. But it's more of the the losing the money aspect every single month that just has me you know, been in an unfortunate mind state. Yeah, it sounds uh, super, super interesting here, man. I'm I'm interviewing you now. So this is this <laughs> is cool, right? Like you mentioned that you're lose, you feel like you're losing money, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it it seems that vacations or like have experiencing life in a different way is a, is a is a top item on your on your priority list. You also mentioned savings. So mm -hmm. how are you how are you thinking about that? Like would where do most where do most of your where does your most of your money go? I mean, we're founders, right? So we don't have too much money. But uh, when you think about money, where do yeah. you think um, what 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 aspects of your financial life do you think are are doing you good and what are are not? And and if if there's something's holding you back, why do you think that is? 
yeah, financial aspects that are doing me well, it's always good to be a good steward of your money um, and to have the basics down, like rent, uh, food, and healthcare, et cetera, right? Um, and then when it comes to savings, it's always good to have a little cushion just in case life does you wrong. So you want to be a good steward of your money, and that's why it's it's important to save. Um, and what student loans don't allow me to do is save up that money, right? Save up the $200, $300 that I'll be spending every single month. Um, there is a second part of your question that that I'm escaping. Uh, that's escaping my brain. But if that helps you, then yes. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it is super interesting. So let me, like, different take here is, why don't you just borrow money from your parents or your family? Oh, yeah. To pay student loans or to just... Maybe to live a better life. Buy a house, yeah. Buy a car, yeah. I mean, I don't want to ask them. <laughs> it feel a little strange, but you're not you're not wrong, right? If they give vacation, I could just ask ask someone for the money. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty crazy, uh, and the reason I'm it's I'm I'm not being serious with that question, right? Like, <laughs> it's not a serious question. Uh, but the the reason I ask it is that a lot of times we run into people who think about it from that perspective, right? Like they're they may be coming from a bit of a, a more privileged background, and uh, they may have kids that have student loans, and they say, you know what? Like my kid pays their student loans off, uh, and I don't help them with that. They're self sufficient, blah blah blah. Why should why should you know? Like these other people who are having difficulties, they they're obviously stupid because they're not managing their finances well, or they're lazy, or they have uh, they they're uh, entitled. They feel like they they deserve some forgiveness or something like that. Um, and it turns out that there's a big big difference um, in the lived experience of uh, people who are not coming from that kind of a background, right? So, I'll give you an example, and this is by uh, studies done by a, a very prominent social uh, scientist, like a social psychologist, and she found that uh, there is a big big gap. Uh, in uh, in wealth between people of color and people who are who are not, um, and wealth right like the wealth gap is about ten x higher than the than the earnings gap, which is crazy right like the earnings gap might be closing but the wealth gap is growing, and it turns out it's because even a small bit of community right uh, makes a big difference and I'm not talking about tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars right I'm not talking about people who are ultra wealthy. I'm talking about uh, parents being able to afford to pay, you know, car insurance on your first car, or help you out with a ten thousand uh, dollar down payment on your first home. Those small amounts of money, right? Like they're relatively small amounts of money, end up making such a big difference to the overall trajectory in terms of wealth accumulation mm -hmm. uh, that there is no comparison, right? So you might have somebody who has done all the right things, who has gone to school, got the jobs, is doing their best to be financially prudent. And is still behind. And for, for us, when we look at that person, we find that they usually have student loans and those student loans are a big part of that struggle. Yeah. And so this, there's this inverted sort of in counterintuitive mechanism, you know, that happens where people dis disassociate value from education and they're like, why did I do this? I could have done something else. Mm -hmm. um, why did I take out so many loans? Everybody said, you go to college, you do all of those things and you'll be right. successful. And you know, on paper, I might be successful, but in reality, I don't feel like I am. I feel like I'm constantly struggling. I'm constantly trying to do things. Everybody's telling me that I need to budget better. I need to eat ramen noodles or don't buy my avocado toast or, you know, don't have my, my Starbucks coffee. And 
that's a bunch of BS, right? Like, because we have realized. So I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my background is mm -hmm. I've, uh, I grew up <clears throat> seeing my, my parents, my friend's parents. They would save for years to do one thing. And, and then when they would do the thing, eventually when they would have enough funds to, and they'd take the leap, like, you know what? Yeah, now we're going to go spend this money that we've saved for over like however many years. They didn't enjoy it. Hmm. It felt bad, right? It, they felt guilty and they weren't able to really like experience the moment and they would justify it. Say, oh, we're doing this for the kids or like, you know, it would, it would end up being not a pleasant experience as they had envisioned all those years as they were saving. They had this idea that, you know, this vacation or whatever is going to be fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that a lot of people experience that. And so when uh, when people talk about millennials or Gen Z, Gen Z is a bit different, but for especially for millennials, uh, like, oh, these people, they're, they're not serious. They're not saving. They're not doing whatever. Well, there is an aspect here. We don't want to live the lives that our parents lived, right? Like, we don't want to sit here and, like, suffer for 10 years to just experience one small thing. We want to we want to have a good life. We want to experience life, and having a good life doesn't mean blowing a bunch of money, right? Like exactly. it means life. experiencing things, it, mm -hmm. you know. And so um, there's that slight difference there. And so you know, when uh, when uh, when we when we speak with people about their student loans or how they look at their finances, you see you have this incredible disassociation between value and uh, and price. Mm -hmm. And you know, in many ways, they're right, right? Like there's a big disparity between the cost of higher education um and uh the amount of money we can obtain from the actual degree itself yeah the 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 return on investment right like now look don't get me wrong it's still like a couple hundred percent return on investment on the in the lifetime right but it doesn't feel like that and it's much much lower than it used to be so you know as an example somebody who went to school in the 70s uh inflation adjusted their tuition uh, cost total cost is 11k right and you compare that to the average cost today is like about 30k right okay. which is triple the mm -hmm. amount and so it's not just an inflation thing it's also definitely a a um, you know something else um okay so to go back to to your question is we we found that student loans were a, were a barrier uh to to success for many people especially people who didn't come from backgrounds where they could get some support from their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, typically when, in many instances, when people feel embarrassed to ask or uh, think twice before asking, it means that there's a reason for that, right? And it's not usually ego. It's usually burden. Like you don't want to put this burden on your parents or your family because you understand that they're already, they're experiencing their own struggles. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, uh, we looked at that and, you know, we took all of the things that uh, you might hear about people with student loans, right? And, and I've mentioned some of them. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they're not financially savvy. Maybe they're not working hard enough. If they just got a better job, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and uh, it's a shame uh, that that's the case. But, you know, when you go and you talk to people and you, you realize that none of those things are actually true. Everybody understands that the fastest way out of debt is to pay it off. Yeah. Um, they just don't have the money, right? Like that's their biggest barrier is that they just don't have enough money to do that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is despite working extra jobs or working extra hours or hustling here and there, everybody has a side hustle, right? Like everybody's trying to find the extra money so that they can pay off the student loans or, or save more or try to invest because all of their friends are talking about investments and blah, blah, blah. 
it, there's such a difference between perception and reality, right? Like in that sense where it creates this abnormal pressure and I'm going off on a, on a, on a rant oh, over no, here. Sure, that's yeah. good. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, uh, what, what, what happens is that you have a very negative uh, consequence, right? So I'll give you an example. In the, in the late eighties, early nineties, Mm-hmm. There was a big push to educate black communities to say, hey, go to college, like do these things and you will be successful. You will get out of the projects, right? Or whatever, right? Like, so these are very particular black communities in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And it backfired because these folks went to school, they did all the right things, and they found that they, they weren't making good good money at, at work. They had all of this huge amounts of student debt. In the 90s, it was a terrible situation, right? Like that to really change up how how student loans are managed. There was a big revolution there. Um, And they were looking around and seeing their friends who didn't follow that path, who were doing relatively better, right? Even though they may have been doing things that were not as technically savvy or, you know. Or maybe even slightly illegal. (laughs) Oh, oh, I I see. Yeah. And so there was this huge like gap is like, I've done everything right. I've done the things I've done what a society expected me to do, but I'm still here. I'm still in this situation and I don't see a way for me to break out of it. I'm still scrounging pennies. Right. And that's like, that's a really bad thing because breaking out should give you that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have a small percentage who would leave, right. They would leave that their communities go elsewhere and then try to find success there and look back at the communities like, I'm never going to go back to that place. That's a shithole, right? And that's really bad because then the community continues to struggle. The community doesn't grow. Individuals might grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see, like, from this perspective, it's like, it's it's not just like, oh, go do the right things and you'll be fine. There's a there's a bigger challenge at, at play, right? Yeah. Um, there's a reason why, like, so black women in particular, they owe about, uh, I think, that not, don't quote me on this, I'll, I'll confirm with you later, but like the, I think they owe about um, 70% more at graduation than their, their counterparts. Really? Crazy, right? Another, another statistic is um, folks from the same, like same engineering degree, same school, same everything applying for jobs towards the end of their, their college career, right? Undergrad, your senior year, you're applying for jobs. When they come from backgrounds that aren't privileged and they're concerned about money, their confidence going into applying for jobs or applying for jobs the way they would actually make the money is so diminished that it actually has a negative impact on their ability to interview and land those jobs. And this is science, right? Like people have measured these things. Like, holy crap, dude, like psychology matters, right? Feeling comfortable and secure enough to say that, yes, I can do this thing. It matters. yeah, and so we recognize all of these things and we realize that it's not about, it's not about the, you know, smarts or financial savviness or whatever or whatever. Nobody's smarter. Nobody is more financially savvy, right? Like I always like to say that if you have somebody who's trying to figure out whether they're going to pay their electric bill on the first and their gas bill on the fifteenth, nobody knows their their money better than that person. Like they're down to the cents, right? Like they check their bank account multiple times a day. They know everything. Like you tell them about budgeting, they're like budget with what? Like it has a negative connotation. It's a good thing, right? People should budget. It's a great, it's a it's a very important thing to do. When you don't have money, budgeting starts meaning other things because you're gonna always have to throw off your budget, not because uh you're being irresponsible, but because it's that's just circumstance. That's just what happens. 
Yeah. Um, you know, so a couple of quick facts. The the median uh, salary for somebody who's graduating undergrad today is $65,000 a year. Okay. If you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which has an incredible, like very, very rich data, uh, and you try to calculate at what point does somebody have discretionary income? At what point can they afford to do things outside of the bare minimum, right? That number is 80K. 80K. $80,000 a year. And we're using the buckets Agreed. that the Bureau, like the Bureau of Labor Statistics provides, right? They're very conservative in their, in their expenditures, right? Like, so they look, oh, this is what rent should be. This is what person spends on groceries. This is what car insurance is, blah, 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 blah. Like they look at the average bucket and this is for individual, not household, right? Uh, and you don't have the extra money to do these things that all of society expects you to do because you have a college degree now, right? right. Uh, until you're making more than 85, 80K a year, and like earning that extra 15K in salary, how long do you think that takes? It, it's not, it, it doesn't happen next year, right? Oh, yeah, it's not, it's not a, a one-year jump from 65 to 80. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, and then especially if you're starting off as a, like, it's just you, you're, you have to be independent, your family, your friends, your parents, they can't help you. Right. Not because they don't want to, they just can't, right? Like they're not in that position. Yeah. So it, it, uh, you almost like starting off, it's a very unfair race. Mm -hmm. uh, from that perspective. And, you know, it's people of color, underrepresented communities, so de definitely a lot of folks in the Midwest are experiencing yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're like, you know what, like money, money, dollars, man, like that's what's holding these folks back. Uh, and if you look, if you look around and, uh, you know, you might ask yourself, why isn't college free? Right. Well, that would, that would solve a big portion of this problem, right? Like, yeah. why isn't college free? Well, it turns out that a long time ago, some people decided that um, a high school education benefits all of society, and so society should foot the bill. And that same group of people said, well, a college education benefits mostly the individual, and so the individual should foot the bill. And that's a bunch of BS, right? Like, that's nonsense. It makes sense. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make, it maybe, you know, maybe at... For some small sliver of time in the perfect situation, that makes sense. But it doesn't, in general, make sense, right? Like when you look, and there are a couple of ways you can look at this, right? Like, so first of all, the average college graduate earns about a million dollars more in their lifetimes than, you know, people who don't graduate from college. So just from a tax perspective, right, that college educated person is paying more in taxes. And so if your only measure of contributing to society is how much you're paying in taxes, right, or, or your financial input, uh, then already there's no argument. Right. But what's more important is, is uh, civic engagement, civic involvement. Mm -hmm. And you find that people who are college educated are more civically involved in their communities. They're giving time, money, effort, because they see the impact that 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 thing had on them. Right. Like despite the loans, despite everything in our hearts, we know that that college experience and education was valuable. Mm -hmm. It helped us think about things in different ways. It exposed us to different people. Right. Um, so. That it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense, right? And yeah, so right. our thesis at the beginning, uh, from the beginning, was that uh, you know all of society has an incentive to participate in uh, the cost of higher education, mm -hmm. um, and so that's how dollars started, right? Like, is we we looked around and we said, okay, what aspects of society are uh, are most obvious? Like, who has the highest levels of incentive to help pay down student loans? And we're not looking for charity, right? We said there's there's an incentive, there's a mutual benefit involved. 
uh, and you know you don't have to think very hard to to look at the employer right companies companies have a have from the beginning of time have been trying to recruit to retain to engage like these are problems that have, have existed from the beginning right so from when you were trying to commute you collect a bunch of people and you want to give them the same sort of goal like you have to keep them engaged you know you have to make sure that they stick around you have to find others to do the things if you're successful mm-hmm. um and so that's how uh, that's kind of how it all starts okay so your target market is are is companies how do companies Absolutely, yes. yes and just give us an overview of how companies help solve this problem yeah it's a very very simple uh, every month a company can make a contribution, uh, a direct payment to its employees' student loans. Um, and, uh, you know, that does a couple of things, right? So most people will take that contribution as a supplemental payment, right? So they say, okay, my monthly payment is $300. My employer is giving me $100. That's the median uh, amount that we see on the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to use that $100 as extra money, right? So that means that I will be able to pay down my debt faster because I've paid my minimum. I'm making an extra hundred dollar payment. That's principal. That's going to principal. So it, it reduces my time to, to zero debt. I'm paying less in interest, et cetera. Right. Um, we have a, a smaller percentage of people who use it to offset cost. And so they'll say, you know what? My payment is 300. I will, I will reduce my own payment by a hundred dollars and use my employer's contribution to cover the difference. Mm-hmm. And that hundred dollars is going to help me buy groceries or do other things right give me some flexibility right uh, and you know that's that's totally fine it's a matter of circumstance and then you have an even smaller group who does one of the two things but depending on the season hmm. so maybe during the holidays they reduce their payments right um then you know during other times they may increase they, they go back to paying their full minimum but maybe sometimes even more because they see the value that that extra cash from the employer has on their overall psychology and you know view towards their student loans. Mm-hmm. Nice, that's in, that's incredible. I love the mission. I love the mission of Dollar. Um, and I want to ask an interesting question. Would you say that your customers are happy? What does what does churn look like at Dollar? Yeah, we uh, we are very very proud that we have one hundred percent retention. We have zero churn. <laughs> that's incredible, man. That yeah. is that is incredible. It's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah, you know, when, yeah. You, when you build something, it feels special, right? Like when you build something that people actually love, it it's a very special feeling. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, and you know, people love it when they stay on it, and and they're, they're giving you money, they're paying you. It's not free, right? Right. And how many customers are you all at right now? We have uh, just under fifty. Just under fifty customers, complete retention. They're happy. Yeah. They're paying you. And they're paying us. Yeah, yeah, which is huge. Okay, so dollar this this mission to help um help help people honestly get their money, get their money back, and um um pay off their student loans a, a bit quicker is incredible, and it's life changing as as you've seen. Um, and in order for you to change these lives, you had to sell, right? You had you had to sell, and I'm sure you've learned many different things over the years of sales strategies and um, X Y Z to bring in customers, but you actually never held a sales job. So what did you think of sales before starting this startup? I'm curious. I thought it was easy. (laughs) Okay. I thought sales was easy. I was like, yeah, I mean, come on. Like, I'm a charming guy. I can go out there and like, and and I'm bringing all of this value, right? Like, obviously, I'm going to be so successful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
That was wrong. That was not true. Because and like here's why it was wrong. It was focused on me. Mm. Right? I was I was the hero. Yeah. Mm. I'm so charming. I'm so awesome. I have all these awesome products. Buy it. You know, and that I think was the the biggest mistake that uh, that I made in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what did those customer conversations look like when you were just focused on you and your ability to charm and your product? Well, like you see, it uh, fundamentally, despite that that egotistical view, I knew that like I was I what I had had was was something of value mm-hmm. to others. Um, and so we really focused on the value that that you know offering dollar would help would 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 add to the team. And so from that perspective, um, you might say it took a little bit longer for me to realize the ego was getting in the way because we were still successful. Mm-hmm. We were still able to sell, right? And here's the thing, right? Like we, I've always believed that if somebody truly values the thing you've built, they'll pay you. And a lot of the times when you're starting off. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. You're talking, you've, to, you've spoken to 50 people. Nobody wants your thing because you don't know how to speak about it properly yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might you might end up in the situations uh, where you say, you know what, like, let's offer it for free first. And then you justify that by, by with you know, a, a bunch of other things, right? You say, oh, we'll learn about it. We'll figure out what they actually want. And then we'll start charging them for it and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And and that's fine. That works in some instances. But the way I look at it is it's it's about there's a very thin slippery slope um thin line slippery slope between value creation and value extraction right and so i think if you if you're taking this path of you know starting off free or freemium or whatever you have to always maintain that it has to be about value creation mm-hmm. right and even when you do start charging you have to make sure that the the price you're not forcing somebody to pay in retrospect for something that you gave them for free. You told them this is free, right? Uh, you, and, and I have some, some thoughts about that, right? But so we charged from day one, we didn't have a product. Mm-hmm. It didn't, it existed like sort of like on paper, right? Like we had some various components here and there, but I've always believed in selling first because I don't know why, right? I just like, you know, first, like, let's see, like, what is somebody going to buy? And then we'll build that thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, we have all of these fantastical ideas and we can try all of these things, sure. But let's go figure out like what will somebody actually buy? And so we we sold successfully to our first three customers. And oh. then it was like a, a crazy panic to like, oh shit, now we have to go and like actually go build, build this, this thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do like that approach though, because if you spend too much time in the lab, too much time in the shop, you don't know if anyone's gonna buy your thing. No, and we still made big mistakes, right? Like we still made big mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we launched in January of 21 with our first three customers. Okay. And, uh, you know, the initial product had a lot of assumptions that just were crap. And they were coming from a good place, right? Like, so we first we said, and it was the psychology, right? Like we knew we were always going to charge, but we wanted to give somebody the flexibility to maybe to self-serve, uh, to self-initiate things right yeah. and so the thought was it came from a good place it said look it's it, we're in the middle of covid we launched in 21 right like it's covid um there's a lot of uncertainty around money people are concerned blah 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 so we want them to do this good thing for their for their teams we know that it's important we know it's impactful but we don't want to hold them down in in the traditional like contract sense and so instead what we'll do is we'll we'll help them sort out all their team make it very easy for them to come once a month 
and push a button that says make my contribution. Mm-hmm. And that was stupid, man. It was stupid because we've added work for these people. They had to go in, log in, and press a button. They had to remember. They had to, go, but they yeah. had to remember it, right? Yeah, just like you're saying. Yeah, it's tough. It was awful. And so I would, like, every month at this, around the time, you know, I would get I would get all nervous and panic and be like, oh, no, nobody's pushed the button. So <laughs> 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 emailing people like, hey, hey, like, you need to push your button. Like, everything okay? What's happening? Uh, I, I can push it for you if you like. Right. You know? <laughs> and then, like, everybody was always like, yeah, just push it for me. And then, yeah. you know, I realized, like, these people aren't interested in this button. Like, they just want it to happen. <laughs> Yeah, and that was a big platform and do anything extra. Make it recur. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it it sounds so dumb in retrospect, you know. (laughs) Why do we got to do stuff? That's good, though. That's good. That is um, a a good learning, definitely a good product iteration. But I wanted to go back because you said something interesting that I want to dig into. um, And it was all around um, your, your journey getting to those first three customers, right? And you said you had to iterate on messaging. Talk to me through your first sales strategy, if you would even call it back then. Like, how did you go about getting those customers? Yeah, uh, it was a very interesting journey, right? So I, um, as you know, I come from a a very technical background. I studied math um, all the way to PhD, applied math. Um, You know, I've I've always sold in one way or the other. I've always been very entrepreneurial in my entire life. And I think it was influenced by my parents. But... um, I thought that I needed a person who came from a different background, who was comfortable with selling, uh, who knew how to sell. And so that's the person I recruited. And in in and that's completely fair and it's like completely good to do, right? Uh, but the mistake I made is that I, I offset most of the selling in them when we didn't really know what we were selling or or how to sell it. Yeah. Um, and then the second mistake was that uh, we tried to formalize everything too early okay when uh, so i'll give you an example right like everybody and this is like there's so much bad advice out there right so we, we were reading and, and like trying to do things like oh yeah let's let's experiment let's freaking a b test man you know and then you know as a data scientist you sit down and you're like okay if we want to really a b test like what are we testing and you realize you don't know what you're testing you don't know what what's if you're sending outbound emails right like you don't know what subject lines convert or why you don't know what the body content should be. Like, what are the what? What is that one thing you're going to change between A/B tests that that's going to like be indicative of something important, right, or something interesting? Uh, and so you'd end up with these experiments that were just wildly different. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't like wasn't really an A/B. And then on top of that, right, like if you want to have, if you want to do all of these multiple tweaks, right, because you realize I don't know anything. I just trying. I'm trying to figure out something. You end up with like, I have 40 emails that are completely different from each other. Right. If I want this to make sense in any manner, then I need to send these 40 emails to thousands of people. I don't have thousands of people to send these emails. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? And so, like, it becomes a chicken and egg problem. And, you know, we thought we were doing it wrong. And we, because everybody was like, experiment, experiment, like, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so, um, we, I, I think I definitely, I became allergic at that point to process. I realized that building process too early is like the biggest mistake you can make. Yeah. We were doing a really good job on the product side, right? On the product, we were like being very, very lean and frugal. We're like, we're not going to build anything until we sell it. We're not going to build anything new or adjust the way that this thing works uh, because one person maybe had a misunderstanding because the product, like the messaging was, 
maybe not good enough or they didn't understand how it worked. And so when they say they wanted something, you have to dig deeper and understand like, what do you really want, right? Um, but on the sales side, we were making, we were doing the opposite. We were trying to build this heavy process, right? Like, all right, this is what funnels should look like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a big mistake. And I think the way we wanted these first three customers is we really, we really, really spoke to direct pains that they were having and we spoke in their language. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we said, hey, we've noticed that in your industry, there's a huge high amount of turnover for this particular type of role. Uh, that role just happens to be college educated. And then in the same industry, we got very lucky with our first niche industry, right? Like in that same industry, there was another role that also had like master's level um, student debt, right? So it's more debt mm -hmm. that were incredibly hard to recruit. There's a national shortage of those people. And so we combined those two things and we said, okay, like, let's go and talk to these people about like what they care about, which is making sure that these folks are, 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 uh, are retained, right? They, the 80% turnover in the first three months is horrible. It doesn't make for a good business, it makes for a very bad experience. And that is a particular driver of the reason it's so hard to recruit this other role because this other role oversees these roles, right? And they need, they need these people to be consistently doing the things that they're building. Um, it was in the mental health space, right? So they were building these plans for for uh, for individuals who needed help. And when you don't have a consistent um, delivery mechanism, right? That would be that person, the, the the high turnover person. Then you know everything falls apart, and you feel frustrated, and you don't know why your thing is not working, or you know it it it's not a good situation. And that's how we were able to sell the first three customers. We spoke completely their languages, addressed their pains, and we told them, look, we don't know for a fact this is going to work. But the problem. all of the signs point to that, right? They all have student loans. They all complain about their student loans. Right now, like competing on compensation, just that's a bad, like a bad idea. You can't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, you already have so many costs associated with turnover and recruitment, blah, blah, blah. You're actually losing money by not giving this a shot. Right. No, and, that's good. Uh, it's, and quickly, how did, you, how did you even come across that that industry was the right industry to go after? Was it experience? It was luck, man. Luck. So you're luck. Yeah. all the industries trying to find a niche and you're like, let's throw a dart on the board. Well, you... so we were, we were trying to throw darts on the board. And then uh, my wife is the big reason for a lot of my success. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so she had been in this industry in the past. And one day we were just sitting around talking about it mm -hmm. and the light bulbs went off. I was like, whoa, whoa. You're right. We should try this industry for sure. And guess what? Like, I have an expert right here at home who can tell me about like exactly what language to speak, exactly what to say, exactly how to how to address it. You know, and uh, and that's uh, that. It's all my wife. <laughs> you got the hypothesis from your from your wife, and you were like, you, you understood the problem at a high level. It, then you had to go in front and talk to people. How did you get in front and talk to those people that you needed? Yeah, to we, uh, we 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 we. We actually, I think it did a really good job of identifying all, there are about three, three and a half thousand of these uh, facilities across the country. Yeah. Um, and we were able to just, man, like this is, we didn't, we couldn't have, like, look, man, I don't believe in spending money on things unless like you can show a clear return on it, right? So, oh, get HubSpot or get, you know, pay 500 bucks a month for whatever this tool is that generates you leads or, you know, whatever. I was like, nah, man, we don't know how those, like we have to have a deep understanding of why there's value in paying for those things. Uh, and so let's do it the way that they might do it. And so we, like, uh, you know, credit to him is, but our first sales guy, he scraped manually. 
Hmm. You would go to website, find contact information, search Google, LinkedIn, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this like spreadsheet and just put it in there. And then we would email these people. Um, and, uh, you know, we started speaking with them. Of The first few were a complete disaster, of course. <laughs> uh, and then we found some folks who like, we refined the pitch to a point where it was just very short. It was very much about value. Uh, very few words on the page. Yeah. And uh, and it started resonating, right? And that's when we were like, okay, like this is what it feels like to sell mm -hmm. well, right? Like this this is a good feeling. Uh, yeah, and we just, we just you know, really leaned into that. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's dig into that, the message real quick, because I know we, we got 20 minutes here. Um, and I have some more questions I want to ask around this. But when it comes to refining your message and you know, truncating and, and creating a, a concise message, walk us through a bit of you all's thought process and iteration through that. Where did you start? What did you assume that your message should be? And then why did you iterate? And then where did you end up? Yeah, we started by, with, by, by putting the things on the page that were important to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Like as a data person, I'm very driven by data. Right. And so when I see a statistic, I'm like, that statistic means something to me mm -hmm. uh, because I have a reference on how to interpret it and what, like what, you know, and all of these other things. Um, it's not the case with the, in general, like nobody cares. Sure. I have 80% turnover. That number, first of all, like it hurts to even hear. I experience it every day. I'm hiring these people and it's forming, it's making me feel like I have an adversarial relationship with people that I'm bringing onto my team. The most important people in the company is your team, right? Like no, no team, no company. Uh, and I have this weird adversarial relationship with them because I'm looking at them and I'm cynical and I'm like, ah, oh, you'll probably be here for two months. So whatever. <laughs> uh, and you know, we, that's, that's kind of how we started is we would talk about the, the statistics and say, Hey, look at all this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you just end up making people feel bad, mm. which is the opposite of what why we exist, right? We 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 create happiness. Like that's a very important component of what we do. Our product creates happiness first. Um, and so we started. We changed our 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 tune, right? And so removing as much statistics that that as possible from the thing, uh, really leaving only the very very relevant ones. And after giving it context and saying, look, we understand that you are doing everything you can. You're trying to run your small business in a certain way. You're dealing with all of these things. On top of that, you're not trained to run a business. You're really good at the at this really like hard thing, right? Like you've gone to school to study how to be some kind of psychologist. And you can't... Running your business is getting in the way, right? You're experiencing such hardship. You're, you feel like you don't know what you're doing. Um, here's, you know, like here's a couple of ways where you can like you might think about it right so it, it was like oh this is interesting it doesn't make me feel like bad everybody's in the same boat it's very common that you know the best lawyers aren't necessarily the best lawyers right like they might be really good at law but if they can't run a law practice then they're just not going to have success um that's a, as an example right like you see this a lot in professional services um and so by helping them think about how to how to think about like how to test their business or maybe run their business a little bit differently, uh, we were able to really resonate with them on an emotional level. Yeah. And then they liked us. And then they said, okay, you know what, we'll try it. And we said, by the way, it's going to cost you some money. Yeah. And they're like, okay, how much? And we're like, this much. Uh, and they're like, okay. And we're like, shit, maybe, <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> maybe we should have asked for more. <laughs> That's a good feeling to have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
so like nobody like yeah i think uh the, maybe there have been a, a very small handful of people who've who've uh, pushed back on price okay. uh yeah huge, but we don't give any discounts you know so discounts and congratulations first off um uh, for that fact right you have created something valuable and that's huge and the story you just told is the story that a lot of uh, uh, salespeople and business owners go through. First, they start with logic. They're like, well, what's the logical reason someone should buy my products? Well, you're losing all of this. You're losing this. You're, you're doing this. Statistics say this. And that brings them uh, brings their brain to a point uh, to make a logical decision, which is not how people make decisions and make them emotionally, right? Yeah. And, and as you as you started defining uh, or going through the your second pitch, your refined pitch, you said I I wanted to make them feel this, and um, I wanted to bring out this feeling. And then you really played an advisory role after you uh, got them into an emotional state. You said, Hey, let's. So this is a problem, it's a potential problem. This is who you are, what you're dealing with. A lot of people are like you. Here are some possibilities. Let's brainstorm some possibilities for success probably brought up dollar and then boom, here's how much it's going to cost. Huge. I think that's yeah. huge. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously we haven't, it's, we've not completely figured it out. Right. Like, but we've done it well enough, uh, you know, in a very, very focused part of um, businesses that we've reproduced that success in a way that's lasting. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is super good. <laughs> you, you yeah. reproduced it and that's, that's, that's good. Um, did you have to read any books, watch any videos to to figure out how to correctly message? And okay, I'll tell you the biggest mistake I made first. Okay, was uh, following VCs on Twitter. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> what a bunch of bullshit! Let me just tell you, it know. is all it, it it's all just like hypoth like it's it's all pontification without. In many instances, without any substance, mm -hmm. um, and in the in the instance where, and you know, I'm not saying anybody's trying to mislead anyone intentionally, right? I think everybody has the right intention. Uh, it's just not the it's just not good advice. Uh, and you know, sometimes yeah. you find that somebody, yeah, like somebody, even even folks who have been operators in the past, they've lost touch with what it meant or 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 how how it is now, right? Like how you sold 20 years ago or 10 years ago, even is very different from how you sell now. Um, so yeah, that was the biggest mistake I made. The book that I think that has made the biggest difference for me from a from a startup sales perspective is called Founding Sales. Okay. Uh, Pete, I'm going to mess up his last name, so I'm not going to even say. But okay. if you look for Founding Sales online, you'll find it's free. It's available freely. Like you can read it online, and then you can buy a copy if you want as well. Okay, that's incredible that they offer it for free, right? And yeah. it's a, what a resource, dude! It's wonderful, and it goes from zero. It's like you have nothing. You have never sold here's how to think about it. And then as you grow, it goes all the way from your first sale all the way to scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because one of the uh, issues that we see a lot of founders make is they raise money and then they go hire someone who was in enterprise sales at some huge company who's got some great title, right? Who's used to having systems and structure and um, a couple customers at least to, to go in and sell and create a message for and bring customers in and it just doesn't work. Because they're not used to starting with zero and getting to one. That's very, very hard to do. So that's that's awesome. And you did mention something about your story. Um, you said that you hired someone at the beginning to help you out with sales while you uh, probably built the product and also continued to help with sales. How did that sales hire go? 
it was not a traditional sales hire, right? Like this is somebody who was on the founding team. Um, okay. I had known him for a long time. We were close friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, he, I think like he he sold really well, right? Like no doubt about that. I think, but it was just like, he was used to selling in a very different place in a very different process. Um, and, uh, and we just had a hard time because, like, you know, from my own perspective is like, as a product person is like, I've built it, you go figure out how to sell it. Or like we had this mismatch, right? Like, or, or even <clears throat> in terms of like, <clears throat> um, teamwork in the sale, right? Like as a founder, I'm like really, really involved. I'm very, very particular, like down to the details about like how this thing should work, uh, including the sale, how we talk about it, how we make people feel. Um, and you know, there was, there was a good amount of, um, uh, of disagreement between us on on how that works or how it should work, et cetera. And so neither of us were happy. And unfortunately, like the most important thing about that was that it was impacting our personal relationship because we had one before this company existed, right? And so, um, yeah, that was a hard decision, you know, to to uh, to uh, stop the professional relationship for the sake of the personal one. And I'm still hopeful that, you know, in the coming years we can we can recover to uh, to where we used to be. And so then I took I took most of the effort on myself, and uh, really started driving that sales process, doing the whole thing, you know, from zero to one, like lead gen, outreach, creating the templates, understanding, failing, hearing the nose, whatever. Right. Uh, Was this? I'm very very. Sorry. Was this while you were? Oh yeah, all all hats. (laughs) You know, wearing all the hats. Yeah. Uh, very very proud though we have just uh, hired our first vp of sales thanks and uh just like you said man right like i think when you're a founder at this stage where you have some customers uh you're trying to scale you're trying to grow you're trying to do things there's a lot of temptation to go and hire that enterprise person right or somebody who's got like a lot of experience and typically that person is a different place in their lives where they don't want to do that kind of work that got them to where they are today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then your your other your other option is somebody who just has the right attitude, who's never done it before, but they're willing to learn, right? And uh, and uh, you just figure it out together. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the best two options, right? <laughs> like like both of them have their challenge, right? Obviously, like you want somebody who's willing to learn and 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 try things, grow. It takes time you know nobody and different people learn in different ways mm-hmm. uh, and then on the other side if you hire somebody like it's already very expensive those people don't come cheap um and so i thought that somebody who can roll up their sleeves do the dirty work but has the experience to support strategy um is a unicorn and like they don't exist we got very lucky man we found one we have a, a vp of sales with 21 years experience going from zero to one uh scaled several startups from you know zero to several million in revenue in some cases, a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this guy loves rolling his sleeves up and getting dirty, you know? So I have to pitch myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible, man. You found um, you found the perfect perfect hire for the role, someone who's done I it before so. and who's yeah. addicted to doing that, which is incredible. So, it just started, man. It's been 10 days. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be praying to continue. Uh, he can... He can Put you guys to a, a million dollar company as well. Um, okay, so so we talked about zero to three, and you mentioned that you were at fifty right now. Customers, talk to us about how you either created processes and systems to ramp up 
to the 50 um, and just walk us through the, the sales strategy you all use to get to continue to pull in more customers. So until, you know, maybe the the, the last quarter of last year, uh, there wasn't a good way to build a, a, a good process. And the reason is that there was so much uncertainty around student loan forgiveness. Okay. Um, and there was all kinds of different value of perception, per, perceived value, right? Or like perceptions around what a student loan benefit was going to do. A lot of employers were like, you know what, like I, I 100% see the value that you're bringing to the table here. But if it for, if forgiveness passes in three months, then then what? You know, uh, yeah. a lot of individuals, people with the student loans were like, my loans are going to be forgiven. I'm not interested. Even if my, my, my company offers it, I'm not signing up because that's just a waste of money, right? I'm a good person. I don't want anybody to waste money. And so we had to do all of these very different things, right? Like use very different strategies and tactics. Um, the message you're you're right, right. That, and it doesn't work in a in a normal world right <laughs> mm -hmm. uh and so after forgiveness um was uh was uh is not on the table anymore that has changed things for us in a significant way so we are now actually like having a little bit more of a formal process you know we've taken guess how many templates we have email right. templates i'm gonna say 80 <laughs> How much we have eight thousand no was we have tried so many freaking things right <laughs> we have like, that's what i'm so you know we've tried a lot of different things because the it wasn't the I i'm not going to say the goalpost was shifting but the environment was shifting a lot right mm -hmm. the field you were playing on was very different yeah. from month to month uh, one month it would be like wow, so you know it it uh, that doesn't lend itself well to building a, a a good process or to have a playbook that says hey this is a playbook that I know it's going to work right let's go let's go get after it right uh, but now we're in a world where that's actually very possible and we're seeing that happen like we have people we spoke to two years ago are coming up and saying hey do you remember me I'm like yeah I remember you I miss you how are you doing you know? <laughs> uh, so the uh, you know, so we're 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 at a place where we can actually justify that VP sales hire, mm -hmm. um, and somebody who, like who can come in and and build that process. Uh, so yeah, it's not it's not uh, the, you know I think the the best answer maybe the answer you were looking for, but uh, no, no, I think that was that was powerful because it um, helps some of the people listening um, understands that the environment and what's going on in the world really impacts. Um, sales strategy and your message, right? Because you were you were put in an unfortunate position where uh, student loans, the the value of it was going every which way, right? And you can't build a process and a sustainable message and uh, sustainable email templates if that's if that's possible. But also, you're showing us that it takes grit, and you were trying to figure it out. You didn't just give up. You were just like, okay, let me wait for three months and let this thing settle. Every time something happened, every time a new news article came out, you were like, okay, how do I use this news article, use this new insight to create an email template, which is what it takes to be a good salesperson. So yeah, that's, you, you described it to the, to the team, man. Like, it was like, okay, what's happening in the world right now? What do people care about? And how do we fit in this picture? Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, this is not, we don't fit in this picture. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then when it came to the medium in which you were conveying your message, was it email? Was it cold call? Was it LinkedIn? Was it a combination of both? Walk us through if there's a strategy there. No, we, we have stuck very, very religiously to email from the beginning, right? There, there's so many things, I think, uh, 
maybe we should have done cold calls earlier. Okay. Right? Uh, but we have stuck to email and all of our customers have been strangers, right? We didn't come into a world where uh, we had a network or that we knew people that would give us a shot, you know, whatever. Like these people met a stranger and that stranger told them about this new thing and they said, okay, let's do it. And then they were paying us. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, from, from that perspective, it was very hard because we just, we had to literally start from zero. Yeah. Um, car medium. There's a lot of noise on email. Lots of noise on email. You have to make the right subject. You have to do things. And then you have a lot of incentive to, to do the wrong thing, right? Like there's all of these like bad practices you have to make a clickbaity subject line or you know, make a clickbaity body. Like then there's all kinds of people tell you like, write, don't write more than a hundred words. Other tell you like write a thousand words, blah, blah, put video in it. And there's so much like stuff out there. Um, and I think that I'll, you know, if anything, if it help, if it's helpful to others, like the one thing I've learned is that it doesn't matter. All of that stuff works, it, it you know, if for, for, for one situation or the other, but what really matters is that have the faith that you know what what your how you can make a big difference for somebody and really lean lean into that. And so that's what we've done mm -hmm. um, that has produced you know success for us. Yeah, when you're dealing with multiple different industries, there's no golden ticket, no silver bullet message that yeah. will. One, yeah, right? and so you know, like in our situation, even I, even developing that ideal customer profile was very difficult because right. you know of the environment. It was changing a lot, and so we were just like, "Hey, like we're just trying to sell and and continue to show that we can we can continue to sell in this environment." Mm -hmm. uh, now we are adjusting our processes where we're like being a lot more intentional about where we're selling, right? So we do have an ideal customer profile now, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, obviously that's going to change over time, but uh, it, it feels very different. Having done this for the last three and a half years, through the through the the crazy environment, um, it almost feels easy now. That's good. Or you're just used to the pain, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The pain is just the side. It's just there. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and we we we're going back on this question, but when you first started you didn't have a target niche and you were probably just selling everybody you're like hey you're a small business or hey you have employees would you be interested in in student loans tell us a little bit about the importance of finding a niche and any other insights or wisdom you have around um, a niche when it comes to sales and building building a good business in general so you know I've, I've through the last few years I've learned a lot of these things I'm I'm, I'm allergic to a lot of these these words right so for niche and i think it's not because of the word itself i think it's how it's construed like when people say niche like a, a lot of the times the thing that first the first thing that folks think about is a very particular subset of a very particular industry blah 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 and that's not necessarily the case right a niche is anyone who fits a particular set of criteria um and so you know from from the from in the beginning, we've had a good idea, right? We just didn't want to go and talk to anybody. We wanted to talk to people that would, first of all, like who had the highest incentive to speak with us. And so we started with with folks who we knew hired a lot of people with student loans. Okay. Um, and you know, we from there you refine. You say, where where am I having more success? Where am I having less success? It's just a, it's been a mess, right? And so now we're going back to all of those eight thousand emails, <laughs> eight thousand templates, and going through them, you know, in a methodical way, and saying, okay, you know, like what can we was this a desperate email and should we just delete it forever? Or was there something here that we can use um, to refine our process? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. 
Okay. And then I know the answer to this, but I want to ask to see if there's any good nuggets here. Marketing or sales? What should a startup focus on? Yeah, marketing doesn't exist, man. <laughs> I mean, like, no, yeah. look, don't get me wrong. Like, so marketing, I think a lot of what marketing does is awareness, right? Like, and you raise awareness by having a very clear and concise message to a very particular audience. And, you know, like, that's how you market well. Marketing doesn't mean spending a ton of money on on ads and like this and that, right? And so the the most important thing that marketing needs, if you want to have successful marketing, is to have that clear and concise message, mm -hmm. uh, or have somebody who can take everything that you've done and say, "Here's actually the clear and concise message to this particular audience." Blah blah blah. Uh, and at the early stage of the startup, you're not marketing; you're selling, right? Like you need to develop what their message is, and you're not going to develop what their message is until you speak to people and they tell you no, they tell you maybe, they tell you yes, and then you never hear from them again. <laughs> like, you're gonna hear, you're gonna, you have to experience it and say like. And nobody's ever doing anything wrong, right? Like nobody is uh, is being mean or whatever. Like they're just like they're communicating to you that what you've done, what you've told me is not important enough, mm -hmm. or it's not painful enough for me to act, or I don't, I I would love to, but I don't have money. Mm -hmm. They're telling you all of these things in very interesting ways. Um, I'll stop there. I've been going off in tangents here. <laughs> I really like that last statement because it shows your mindset. Uh, that's a no excuses mindset. That's a, hey, you're totally fine. You're, you're telling me, <laughs> you said, you're telling me something about my products in a very interesting way. You're not just being mean or anything. You're just giving, giving me the truth of, of the value of my product, right? And the way you're, you're conveying that. So I really like that mindset, um, which is, which is huge. And you've been doing good, man. But I, I want to go on to our final two questions which are, um, what advice would you give a new technical founder as they start thinking about how uh, to bring in customers? Nobody cares, man. Like nobody cares how shiny your tech is or what stack you're using or how freaking awesome it is. They only care about what, and you know, I'm, I'm being very extreme in my words, right? But people, people have a lot going on. And so if you want to sell something, you have to remove yourself from the picture and you have to start with them always. But like, why would they buy the thing? Why do they actually need it, right? Not everybody needs the thing, right? Um, and so I think that's the, the biggest piece of advice I would say is that just focus on them. Mm -hmm. Huge. And what does it take to be good at sales? It's really a mindset, man. That's all it is. I think like, you know, there's no secret to what constitutes a, a, a good salesperson. Like from the beginning of time, we know how to sell, right? Like human beings naturally, like we're born selling, right? Like, so we, uh, this, I, I guess the, the, what it, what it takes is to be able to repeat, be consistent, uh, trust yourself. You know, you're going to hear like, it's, it's, it's very, very normal. Nobody hates you. <laughs> Like people will say no, people will not respond, people will ghost you and all of these things. And it's not got anything to do with you. It's mostly got things to do with them, where they are in life, whether or not what, what you said was important enough to them. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about being consistent because everybody like there's like selling is not a secret. Like it's like everybody knows how to sell. It's very easy to look up. Like what does it take to sell? Like you have something to sell. You go tell somebody, do you want this thing? And they say, yes, you, you figure out a price, you buy it. Right. Right. Um, but uh I think having that consistent attitude and and never, ever, ever, ever in your life ever think badly about a prospect or a customer. Never diminish them. 
never say that person's an idiot or that person doesn't get it or whatever because you've got something to learn from them yep like they're a human being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's huge all right appreciate all the insights that you've been able to give us on this podcast what's next for you as you continue your journey man dollar for me is like you know i think it's just finding other ways more and more ways to to get people additional dollar dollar bills uh and uh, and you know charge them to a path of building wealth right so you know accelerate them to zero student debt and build so they can build wealth uh and that's all really i, I focus on that person next for me is making people happier yes uh, making the experience better um you know and so that's what i think about what happens that's professional personally it's just been incredible watching my son grow he's two years old and wow. uh you know i think uh Every day I'm excited to see what he's going to do, you know, yes. what he's going to say, how he's going to grow. And so that, that's been special for me. That's incredible. Okay. Well, how can people get a hold of you and see your content and um, see you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So Naveed Iqbal uh, uh, on LinkedIn. I accept all requests. I don't discriminate. Um, it's it's helpful if you say something useful. <laughs> you know? um, we're at the time where, you know, asking for time right now is probably not the best. I'll I do my best to to meet with everybody I can with. Uh, it's just it may be a month before we can get together. Uh, but still, let's reach out. I'd love to connect. And then um, we have uh, our website, getdollar.com, G-E-T-D-O-L-R.com, that has a lot um, about what we do and how we do it. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Naveed. It was great having you, listening to your insights and your, your mindset as you go through sales. So thank you so much, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your, your rest of your day here. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for having me over and for letting me rent. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. All, right, All right. Cheers, man.